Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and David Priest, the former Aberdeen and Sunderland goalkeeper. Let's face it, football is a fashion business. Those hailing Pep Guardioli as a genius were probably calling him a superated spoofer this time last season. Quality counts in management, and that's where Sean Dyche comes in. Has anyone done a better job, John? I don't think so. Certainly not on the resources and also almost against the expectations, isn't he, really? What fascinates me is that at the start of the season, they'd lost Andre Gray, Michael Keane. And talking to a player last week, they'd reminded me that actually that the Burnley, believe it or not, were third favourites for the drop at the start of the season. I think they went to Chelsea and people said, oh, not sure about them. They sort of kind of haven't, haven't had a very good summer. Um, this will be a tough start against the reigning champions. They won, and everything has flown since then, really, isn't it, with the momentum. And I think Sean Dyche has built together a, a strong, unified dressing room. He's kept the core of the team. You know they're absolutely going to do. It's a regimented system in many regards. It's a 4-4-2, and it's morphed into something a little bit different as well. But the players always know their jobs and they know exactly what they do. And if you go and watch them at Turf Moor, you know that they're going to be so difficult to break down because they're so well organised, they're so well drilled. The team spirit for me shines through from every performance. There's a togetherness within the group. You know, some of the camaraderie I think is great in the dressing room. The players have pulled together. It's a very, very almost uh, incredibly British core, all English speaking in the dressing room. And they're really together. And bearing in mind the resources, I just think if you judged it tomorrow, you'd have two contenders for manager of the year. One's Pep Guardiola, as you say, and the other one's Sean Dyche. Mm. The relative, I think, achievements, absolutely remarkable. Mm. Because management, Dave, is all about maximising whatever resource that you've got. And as John says, he's done that perfectly. And if you look at the players that he has within that group, he's improved them all. Yeah, of course he has. But he, like John said, he's got them playing the way that suits them and suits the style of management that he employs. I mean, you look at the chances that they give up. Now, a lot of people are under the impression that it can't go on forever. The bubble will burst and then the, this flood of goals against them will come. But... I can't see it. The, the way that they, they play, they, they, they try and get as many people behind the ball. Now, that isn't always the, the most effective. But if you're giving up chances and you've still got those three, four players between the ball and the goal, it makes it so much more difficult. And what they do is basically, when they're defending, they defend the centre of the goal and they try and funnel the opposition wide. So that they, what they do is, so tactically and visually, they make them uh, or give them chances that are, are more difficult to take, even though they, there's a lot of them. That back five costs seven and a half million pounds in total. When I ask you, David, about Nick Pope, who's come in unheralded to a large degree and then not missing Tom Heaton, he's having a great start, isn't he? He is, and I mean, considering, well, you would consider him third choice at the start of the season behind Paul Robinson as well, who's also came in and, and, and did a great job when he came in. Uh, Billy Mercer's got to take a lot of credit for that, uh, for the recruitment of these goalkeepers, but also put them in a position where they are. Uh, good Premier League goalkeepers. You see someone like Tom Heaton, who I thought was a very good championship goalkeeper and was interested to see how he make the step up. And he, he's, he's, it's made him a better player, playing against better players, playing with better players. He's adapted to it perfectly. And, and now, you know, hopefully when he gets back fit, he'll be in contention for the World Cup squad. But with Nick Pope, 
you know, coming from uh, being released from Ipswich, going into non-league, being picked up by uh, Charlton and Ben Roberts, the the coach of Charlton. There, he's made a gradual progression. We'll talk about uh, you know youth systems later, but it's a real good case for giving people time to develop, and that's what he's been given. And I watched him against. It was on loan at Cambridge and York in the conference. And, and that's given them a great grounding for going into the Premier League and being able to handle it. Mm, talking of handling it, we're going to find out about Burnley in the next sort of month or so, aren't we? You know, the BT Sport game against Spurs on Saturday, then Manchester United, Boxing A, a couple of games against Manchester City, which is the ultimate test. How do you think they'll equip themselves? Well, it's quite amusing because I was joking with someone the other day. They seem to play um, <laughs> Brighton and Stoke every week. And <laughs> no offence, Brighton and Stoke, but kind of that they, they have absolutely really raked in those points when in games that they you feel as if they're winnable games for, for them and picked up the three points. But this is such a test. They've also got Liverpool at home on, on, on New Year's Day. And and the funny thing is, they've gone to Chelsea and won and they've taken a point at Tottenham at, at Liverpool as well. And so it'd be wrong and unfair to say it's just, you know, kind of almost flat track bullies and they're sort of winning that, that second tier league. But the, but the reality is that now we'll, we really will find out a little bit more about them. But you, you have to say that they've got so much confidence and a belief running through them that you, you wouldn't back, back against them. What was interesting last season, the game against Spurs last season, I sort of looked it up, the Spurs really struggled to break them down, particularly in the sort of in the... In the first half, I think they sort of lost a couple of players before half-time through injury and had to change it up. And then Spurs really sort of kind of went into, into sort of the upper gear, but they absolutely had to do that to go and win the game. And that, that, that was the day, actually, that, that Spurs gave themselves a little bit of hope and closing the gap at the top. Um, it was during the run-in sort of on, on Chelsea. They obviously couldn't seize the opportunity. But I think it's a massive test for, for Spurs. You know, they've got to go and kind of win those sort of games in the battle now for top four. And I think Burnley will also feel, well, actually, you know, why not? Why can't we? I, I was at sort of Burnley Arsenal two or three weeks ago and they were really strong, they were powerful and they were aggressive, particularly first half at Arsenal on the back foot. And that's what they do. They can put even the very best teams under the cosh, under pressure at home and they have this sort of great energy at Turf Moor brought to the fans and every single one of them buys in. It's a, you know, it's a real sort of northern scene with the sort of the rooftop houses sort of in the, in the background and you, you know that Spurs will really be in for a massive test and, and you wouldn't bet against Burnley getting all three points. Mm, what do you make of Spurs at the moment, David? You know, the vibe's not quite right. You've got Pochettino talking about the reality is that they might lose players because of their wage structure. You've got Harry Kane, Deli Alley, who probably both should have been sent off mm. at the weekend. Let's look at Alley. If you're a manager there, would you drop him? I think I think it's difficult. I've, I've seen Spurs quite a bit this season, and uh, like I've said before, if, if you don't get uh, if you don't get the goals and assists from Ali, then sometimes you can, you can just drift out the games, and uh, he becomes a bit of a passenger. And I think that. Uh, they've they've got enough attacking options with you know with Ericsson and with Son. Who's I mean this is this is another thing. It's, it's not so much about Ali as well not playing well, but Son's playing really well. You know, and, and he's deserved his inclusion in the side. So they've, they've still got a lot of options, and they still can have, they've got that luxury if they want to. They can leave him on the bench and and maybe send a message to. Mm. Do you think the policy that they're trying to get through until basically the stadium is built, this whole idea of financial prudence, is that? sustainable? I don't think it is really. I think the one thing that, that, that could save it 
is trophies. Because I think if you're winning and winning trophies, then you keep the players happier. But if you're not winning trophies, and then also players like Danny Rose, for example, knows that he could be earn better elsewhere. I mean, he's, he's, he's gone though, isn't he? He's, he's going to well, go. Yeah, you would definitely think so. But the only problem is, I think, for Danny Rose is Spurs are always difficult to deal, club to deal with, to their credit, really. I mean, they, they, they don't want to sell players cheaply and don't want to lose them, you know, easily. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because Rose and, and Carl Walker get on quite well and they're sort of former teammates. Walker has gone on, you know, to Man City and now sitting pretty at the top of the league, record-breaking team, absolutely flying. He's probably earning, what, three times as much as his mate Danny Rose at Spurs? Well, you can't tell me that that's, you know, not massively at the forefront of Danny Rose's mm. mind. Because players talk about money, don't they? Amongst yeah. themselves? Yeah, of course. I mean, and with the agents, obviously, the... Their agents have, have got other players who are at that club and they, they know what the wage structures are, so it's it's going to become a problem. But in, with regards to Spurs, it's a wonderfully run club. If Spurs were my club, that's the way I'd want them to be run. You know, So it's it's a difficult one because, you, of, of course, you want them to challenge and they shouldn't have been challenged in the last few seasons if you, if you take wage structures into account. So you've, you've got to give them a lot of credit for that. If you, if you look at it, Walker v Trippier... Because when Walker went and became the most expensive defender in sort of the Premier League, if you like, for 50 million quid, everyone said that's brilliant business for Spurs because they've got ready-made replacement in Kieran Trippier. Now, why I'm saying that, that basically Trippier is a good Premier League player, he's an excellent crosser of the ball, arguably better than Walker, he's not as good as Carl Walker. He really isn't because Carl Walker brings that energy and that pace and that power and he's a driving force and he's a crucial player in the Man City cog. And I'm sorry, but that is going to be kind of, if, if Spurs do indeed kind of go down this route and then sell players and say, oh, well, don't worry, because we've got such and such coming through, it might be the case that they lose Rose and then sort of kind of then bring in, you know, sort of Ben Davis as the, the absolute, you know, first and foremost player. And then, I mean, you know, it's obviously open secret that it's sort of after Ryan Sessegnon from, from Fulham. Well, Sessegnon will take time to blend in, will be a brilliant player in the future, I'm absolutely sure of that. But, but it's going to be Ben Davis in the meantime. Well, in my view, even though Ben Davis has played a lot more than Rose this season, he's not as good as Rose. And you are losing them players and then compromising a little bit. And that's where Spurs will you know, generally fall away. To move to that stadium, they've got to balance those books because it will impact massively on their squad and their, and their recruitment. To take John's point, David, about trophies, did Pochettino make a fundamental mistake when he went on record earlier in the season and said, we're only interested in the big titles, the Premier League and the Champions League? So, in other words, he binned off the League Cup. Yeah, I can understand him saying that, but at the same time, John's right about, you know, you, if you're winning trophies, doesn't matter what trophies they are, you know, it's important to players, and it's it, if it if it means that they'll, they'll keep them at the club for another year to give them a, a, another chance at a, at a crack at a, at a bigger trophy, then it's it's worth it's worth competing. And it's I mean, even look at Man City now. Okay, Man City will they'll make a lot of changes this week against Leicester, but you can you can be damn sure they'll go out and, and try and win the game so they get the final again because that's what you want. You know, you all these managers are complaining about playing 60, 70, 80 games a season. That's what you want. You want to be winning trophies, you want to be successful. That's why they're there, and they should account for that. Mm. Is there also the added distraction of a bit of a climate of intolerance and impatience, especially at Wembley? Mm. I couldn't believe it, the, the poor reception that Harry Winks got. You know, there's a young lad coming in, done exceptionally well, 
and he's now being slaughtered by a section of the fans for not living up to what they perceive to be the best standard. Yeah, particularly Arsh, when he's such a, such a Spurs fan. Yeah. He's tied in the wall. He's absolutely tied in the wall. But he's a really nice player. But you've got to be realistic in, in, in some of these kids. You know, it's, it's brilliant that Pochettino gives them the platform and gives them their heads and sort of kind of gives them that opportunity. But sometimes you're going to have that dip as a player. It's, no matter who you are and at what level of the game, it's such a pattern in every player. It's, you can, it's almost like complete, you know, it's a consistent thing. It's sort of, as night follows day, you will go into the team, have a wonderful start, and then at some point you have a, that little dip because, you know, I don't know, you might be lacking energy or have a drop in form or something, and then you go again. And then it really disappoints me that basically sort of kind of Winks has felt that because he's a really nice player and his stats have remained consistent. You get him on the ball, he's so good on the ball. He's the one that when Spurs are under pressure and they're under the cosh, he can keep the ball. And to, to have that responsibility sort of 20 years of age, is, is, is remarkable. So they just need to be a little bit more patient with him. I think that, that was poor. I was at the game at, uh, on, on Wednesday with, uh, against Brighton and it was there was a lot more loose passes than there normally are, but I think what the fans have got to realise is that the teams that are going there and having some success or are the most hard to break down is that they've been defending deep. Mm. The two teams that have come out against Spurs, Dortmund and Liverpool, they've got the result because they've left the space in behind for them to exploit. But when you've got likes of Burnley, Swansea, Bournemouth and Brighton other night... That's a pattern across the league, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, if you go into Wembley playing Spurs, you'd be stupid not to defend deep because they, they are finding it hard to break these teams down. And if they can defend the width of the posts, then they've always got a chance. Brighton had a great chance in the second half to make it 1-1 through uh, Hemed. And, uh, but, and that's what teams are trying to do. They just try to stay in the game long enough, knowing that they will get a chance later on. Mm. When you play City, you've got no chance of staying in the game, it seems to me, <laughs> at the moment. They, they absolutely destroyed Spurs. Mm. Let's look ahead six months. When we're sitting here summing up this season, will we be hailing City as not just Premier League champions, but Champions League winners? I think they've got that opportunity. I think that when you are flying domestically, I know people talk about, and Antonio Conte touched on it last week, that... You know, he he sort of said, "Oh, kind of, it's a new world order, the Premier League, and they've got this opportunity to go and win a Champions League trophy this season." But the biggest single factor impacting them is the intensity and the number of games for the Premier League teams, and it becomes really hard in March or April. But if City are indeed flying and have probably clinched it by about I don't know mid-January, um, they have got this wonderful opportunity because they are playing so well, and if they can manage their games, I look back upon the sort of the Arsenal Invincibles in that season when Arsenal won the title unbeaten. They, for me, in my mind, saw you know so much of them and so much European football that season were the best team in Europe. But they played Chelsea, I think, in the quarterfinals on the back of such a gruelling campaign. And they wasted that platform. I think, for me, they, they should have been European champions that year because they were the best team. Man City, if they've already basically got it in the bag and they can carry that momentum into the Champions League. Still worry about them slightly defensively, um, because I think at the top end, but they've got this great... Who's better than them at the moment in terms of level of performance? Yeah, I mean, you could look at sort of kind of PSG or you could look at Barcelona as sort of also, you know... Good, Barcelona good what, 11 points ahead in La Liga, aren't they? So, yeah, yeah, you know, they are the same, good same sort of impact. Absolutely. But City just have this bit between their teeth. And they've got this incredible belief. 
They, they, I mean, they won so comfortably on Saturday. They could have scored five more. I mean, they are playing brilliantly. I hope that kind of form continues because it would be so good for the Premier League if we could get a Champions League winner. And I think Man City have, got, have gone the closest in recent, recent times. And with Guardiola, you know, seasoned campaigner, I think they've got a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's 16 on the bounce. It looks like it could be 21 on the bounce when they play Liverpool mm. mid-Jan. As a player and in, in a dressing room, is there ever a feeling, yeah, we're invincible, you know, we're not going to lose? It almost a, a win is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, of course. And I mean, just going into these games with that confidence, what it does to you, it makes that you don't think. You don't have to think about things. Everything just comes naturally. And like when Nathalie's talked about being in the zone, you're already there. You know, you're not worrying about uh, if this happens, if that happens. And uh, going to Liverpool, I was speaking to a few Man City fans yesterday. You know, and, and even there, sort of the flying high at the moment, even they can't concede that it's you know it's going to be an, an easy ride to the title. You know, because they, they historically don't really do well at Anfield either. And I think they're expecting if they're going to get beat, that's going to be the game. But the the luxury they've got about managing games is they've got that cushion now. So when it comes to the important games. They can make changes before big Champions League games, before knockout stages, and rest players. And even if they do come a cropper and they don't win games, they've got that cushion. They can, they can afford that. How long is it before he plays Edison in central midfield? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great point. He's uh, him and Walker have been the, the, the two massive differences this season from last year. And I think, of course, all, everyone's been improved. Sterling's improved. Stones improved. De Bruyne's took it to another level. But with Edison, the way that he's playing now. It's a remarkable performance against Tottenham with his distribution. Now, a lot of that's down to the, the other players as well. They make the pitch so big that he's got a lot of spaces to put the ball into, but he's just he's taking players out of the game uh, with his throats, taking five players out at once with a throat into midfield. Uh, when it comes to the way that Pep wants to play, he thought he remembered getting that with, with Claudio Bravo. But he's getting so much more with Edison. He's aggressive with his positions. He's aggressive with the, the way that he comes for high balls, or comes for through balls. And, and if, well, when they win the league this season, you know, he's going to be one of the main factors. Mm. Is he better than Neuer? I think when you when you compare people, I mean, you can compare to, to Gay this season as well, but they've got that uh, experience behind them. They've got season after season of performing at a, at a high level. If you compare them this season, I think uh, David De Gea has had to make more than double the amount of saves that the Edison's had to make, simply because defensively Man City have been so dominant and they've not been allowing chances. But to comp compare them to, to the likes of Neuer and put him in that bracket, once he becomes a champion of the, the Premier League, then you can put him in that bracket then. Mm. Liverpool have had their own goalkeeping problems. They're at Arsenal uh, on Friday. and We were both at Arsenal mm. on, uh, at the weekend. How do you see that one going? Well, it's interesting, actually. I spoke to Petr Cech after the game on Saturday and re probably didn't realise just how badly Arsenal was scarred by the 4-0 the drubbing that they got at Anfield in August. And, and Petr Cech described it as one of the worst moments and one of the ma worst matches of his entire career. And basically said, he gave him a slap, he said, and basically woke him up and realised that he just can't do that anymore. I think there will be a feeling of trying to exact some revenge in the air. Petr Cech is on 199 clean sheets at the moment. He said he looked at the fixtures a few weeks ago and he thought Liverpool, the home game against Liverpool, might be the one that he has the opportunity to get 200. Well, <laughs> good luck with that, Petr, because, I mean, blimey, the, you know, Liverpool's fab four. When you can leave Mane on the bench, I mean, it's just astonishing. Well, Liverpool look absolutely deadly going forward. I just think it, there's no way 
that it will finish nil-nil, surely. I think it will be a high-scoring fest and I think it will be a terrific game. I have to say, I think Liverpool are buzzing and I would make them favourites for yeah, Friday. Yeah, because we, we do talk rightly about the, the, you know, the front four, but actually one stat that took me by surprise, 13 clean sheets out of the last 24 mm. league games. As a defence, are they as bad as we've made them out to be? Well, obviously not by that, but I think it's, it's when they concede goals, it's the type of goal they concede. And I think uh, the other week when Lovren, I think it was against Everton when Lovren uh, gave the penalty away, mm. you could see that his reaction afterwards and, and going around the referee uh, at the end of the game, you could see that he's so emotional and that's what the problem is. He's a bit of a liability because he's so emotional. You need steady heads back there and, and he, he's just not that. And I think that it, it shows... Uh, when somebody's like that and they can become erratic when they're under pressure and it spreads throughout the back four and the problem that they have is, or they've had this season, it's it's not just Lovren who's like that. Uh, Moreno is the same. And you've got to give credit to Simon Mignolet because he, he's handled things really well since he come back in the side last season. But again, you, you know, you, you look at the situation there with not playing Champions League football and Carrius coming in. He played because of Simon's a small injury to him, but it's interesting what will be happening next season. Uh, between Minion and Carrius, because I think you know him putting Carrius in for the Champions League, it, it kind of th th makes me think that he, he favours him and he's trying to push him a little bit forward. Mm. If we can talk, John, about actually what will happen next month, which will impact on both Liverpool and Arsenal, more rumours about Coutinho, and we were there on Saturday, and Arsene Wenger wasn't convincing when he was talking about his confidence that Ozil will stay. Yeah. You know, Manchester United, £300,000 a week. That's, that's being mentioned on a pretty regular basis now. How do you see all that panning out? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you look at what Arsene Wenger says in black and white, you say, oh, you know, confident he'll stay. Well, that, that's not the mood. Um, body language gave him away, didn't it? Body language gave him away. And look, Arsenal are and have tried to reignite, if you like, sort of talks with, with, with Ozil, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Genuinely, they've not given up on keeping him. I, you know, it was described to me last week as perhaps 50-50, and when a football club says that, that's probably quite that a... 10, 90, yeah, exactly, yeah, probably a generous <laughs> set of odds. And I just feel that they won't sell Ozil, I don't think, in January. And I don't think Ozil would be up for that, because as a player, you can do so much better as a free agent come the summer. I think that the one that I think might be interesting in January, I really do feel, is Alexis Sanchez, because his level of performance has dropped without doubt. And I don't think... I think that the fact that Chile didn't reach the World Cup was had a massive impact upon him, because I think on two levels, I don't think he's got the goal at the end of the season to keep him highly motivated and focused. I think also perhaps he genuinely felt, as I understand it, that, that Chile could go and win the World Cup, and then that would keep him happy. And now I think his drive and determination to go to a club that can challenge for serious trophies has gone up a notch too. And I think what might be interesting is PSG are still in the frame for him. And if they bid in January, will that bring City out and will that force City, who I think would want him on a free next summer, will that force them to bid? So that'll, that'll have an impact and it might be an interesting summer. As far as Coutinho goes, I just feel that Liverpool will hold firm in January, no matter what the offer is, and they'll make him stay until the end of the season, and then I think he'll go to, to Barcelona. I think he's a really special player, and I think Liverpool and the handling of it has been first class because they've kept him interested and focused, and yes, he's got Brazil 
to keep him focused and make sure that he's got to keep playing well. But I think massive credit to him and what a great tribute to him, his level of professionalism, that he still turns in brilliant, brilliant performances for Liverpool. And I think he'll be granted his wish, though, at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really interested in seeing if, uh, if Ozil will go to Man United because I'm interested to see... Uh, Jose Mourinho turned him into a £300,000 a week left left wing back. <laughs> because actually, when we're on Jose as a, as a subject, you, know, you mentioned you know, Kevin De Bruyne is killing it. Mm. You've got uh, Mo Salah, is it 20 goals this season? Mm. Both Chelsea rejects and the Mourinho. Has he got to take some blame there? Well, I mean, you probably should throw Lukaku into the mix there as well, couldn't you? I mean, they, they were young, obviously, they were young players, and sometimes if it's. Jose Mourinho's three-year plan doesn't let uh, young players have that time to, to come through and to get the experience. If they're coming to the team, they've got to be ready straight away and they've got to uh, perform at least in the second season anyway. It was always going to be difficult, but it, sometimes it's the, it's the best thing for players to go away. You know what I mean? It's, if they get a big chance, like a big move to Chelsea, it can be too much too soon. And maybe that was the case with them. You could see they, they had the, uh, the talent, but it's about maturing. Mm. We can balance it up a bit, you know. What did you make of Louis van Gaal talking about boring Man United? Well, I thought he patented the boring Man United when he was there. You know, maybe we're not the greatest fans of Mourinho, but surely he deserves a bit more credit than that, doesn't he? Well, his football is better than van Gaal. It's not perfect, and it's been a bit paint-by-numbers. Paint I mean, certainly was last season, it was just workmanlike under Mourinho, but... He still managed to win two trophies, three if you if you take you know him his word well, with the shield. shield. Two, but, <laughs> exactly. Um, I just think he got the job done last season. The difference this season was that they were supposed to kick on again, and in signing Lukaku, perhaps the goals and flair up front hasn't quite happened for him. You know, Matic was then supposed to provide the backbone at the back, and, and I think that sort of worked to a degree. But for me. It still hasn't been quite enough, and yet it is champagne, free-flowing football, wonderful entertainment compared to Louis van Gaal. Because Louis van Gaal, who was a good, progressive, exciting coach in his younger days, went to Man United and became stale and boring and dull by the time he'd reached Old Trafford. And for him to be on the backs of the players to play at square and sort of kind of, you know, take over many touches and have strict rules upon the players, for him then to turn around and talk about boring, unacceptable football is just the biggest irony. And he's, you know, sometimes football never surprises you. But with this one, I mean, it's just rich irony. It's just ridiculous. Mourinho, any other season, I think, after, you know, this huge amount of points that they've got, 41 points from 18 games, they're eight points better off than they were last season. Any other season, they're top of the league. But this is a remarkable season and they're struggling and they're paling into insignificance by City shadow. There's obviously a bitterness there. I mean, he, he mm. came out and quoted yesterday saying the only job he'd take back in football would be a chance to manage a Premier League club so he'd have the chance of beating Manchester United. I mean, so <laughs> there's an obvious bitterness there. Uh, ego in football, how about that? <laughs> you know, we talked about Mourinho and his two trophies. It looks like if they're going to win two trophies this season, they have to be both the domestic cup competitions. We've got, you know, in midweek, the League Cup quarterfinals, Manchester United at Bristol City, which you, you think probably they'll, they'll be OK at. Is that what's going to define United's season, how well they do in the Cups? Well, I mean, it, it, the, the league's gone. 
Uh, no matter how we try and dress it up, or you, you hope it's going to be turned into some sort of race, you can't see it happening. I think that, uh, I mean, Bristol City, they're flying this season. Mm. I still think that it caused United uh, a lot of problems during this week. They could be the surprise package and, and end up sort of in the semi finals. Mm. What about Leicester and Man City? Are Leicester the sort of team who might do well against what? if you look at it logically, could be a slightly rotated team. Yeah, and, and also Leicester, if you look at their team, they, they make a, some changes through the rounds and it'd be interesting to see the way that sort of Club Poyle uh, approaches it, particularly on the back of such a such mm. bizarre defeat mm. on, on, on Saturday. They just didn't, didn't turn up. You know, it goes back into this thing, doesn't it? I mean, they'd won so well at Southampton and the more you tell players that they're tired and they should be tired the more they believe it. And they played like a tired team, I felt. And that they just didn't turn up against Palace, who had far more energy, momentum. And I think you might see a reaction from Leicester. But look, we're kidding ourselves. Even if Leicester, I think, do pull off a shock and knock out City, which I can't see happening, by the way, it still doesn't sort of kind of impact at all, in, in my view, on, on City's season and its remarkable winning run. Mm. Well, the League Cup is what people have got to go for. Now, even billionaire beggars can't be choosers. So thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast and have a very happy Christmas. Mm -hmm.